unfold in New York, in Washington, D.C., and in Pennsylvania. Uh, that has been relived in many ways the last week or so, and in particular yesterday. Um, lots of thoughts, lots of emotions, and I thought it would be appropriate right now to remember. Um, to remember uh, is a tricky word because I, I think of what uh, my Bible and yours says about remembering. It's kind of mixed in its opinion, frankly. There are often times we're told, forget what lies behind. Philippians 3, Paul said that. But then in Deuteronomy 8, we're told, never forget. Um, Israel, in recent uh, generations, has uh, seized upon that expression, never forget. And for obvious reasons and good reasons. But in it, there's a risk of bitterness for us as a country, as a people. Um, I think of what's taken place in uh, our part of the country. And I know I'm not bitter today, but I'm uh, a half a mile from it. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm human, and I'm capable of feeling both uh, the emotion of something that I don't want to let go of, and um, at the same time knowing a God that says, I'm into freedom. I, it was for freedom that I set you free. Don't, don't make yourself a slave again. And so uh, I'm mostly thinking about uh, what is on our minds with the 20th anniversary of September 11th. But I'm also thinking when I bring the word up, remember, I think of Jesus and the cross. And, um, and I think of the ultimate of sacrifice. Not by accident, but the ultimate by intention and purpose, and plan. So I want to invite you for a few moments to start personal with your own life. If there's something you need to get past, to let go of, would you do that right now? We're going to bow our heads and just give you here in the house and those watching at home a chance to just do that. You might be in the room with somebody right now that is, uh, there's something in the way, and it's something you can't get past without letting go of, and how do you do that? I, I'll warn you, you can't do that alone, not with a whole lot of success. So you need help, and so do I. Um, if it's, a, if it's a, um, a personal hurt like that, let it go. Be like Paul said of the stuff that everybody praised him for, forgetting all these things, forget what lies behind, I press on. He had a bad chapter he wanted to forget. But he spoke about it for the rest of his life, and he spoke of it in a redemptive, free way. So that's our aim right now. Let's just pray. And I'll lead us in a moment. I'll just give you a moment to really use this time to come to Jesus.
One of the most succinct ways you put it in your word, Lord, is a, a very um, accessible way. We get it. When you say, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. That's the spirit that's hardest to get rid of for sure on our own. It's that intent to get even. Let all of those things be put away from you and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. And sure enough, you can't talk about true, deep, real forgiveness without talking about the source of it. The sustainable, I let it go, can only come because of you, Jesus. And that's why the cross is important to talk about. We don't just talk about it because it's that horrible day, but we talk about it because it's what took to set us free to live for you on this day. So we do so now by choice. And we, we want to remember so we don't make mistakes and go there again, whatever we're thinking about and whatever folks have prayed to you about. But God, we know that in order to stay free is to keep our eyes on you. Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despised its shame, and now is seated at the right hand of the Father. So help us to do that. Thank you for this really important time to be together before you in a quiet, personal moment. For the glory that will come from all this, we give it to you now, Jesus. In your wonderful name we pray. All God's people said, amen, amen. I want to echo what was said about uh, the wonderful, refreshing sight of John Knapp up here today. I almost teased him at the beginning and said, just stay up there and preach. Okay, so you finish uh, leading us in worship. But you guys, this was really special. And, uh, of course, Lindsay's here as well. And... Um, they're family. They're part of Grace Point. And um, if you're a part of Grace Point, you're here in the house. And those of you watching online from, I know, as far away as the East Coast right now and even in some foreign countries, I want to uh, call your attention to uh, a loss that we've suffered as a church family on Friday, Lowell Arno, a long time, he and Linda. Uh, I, they arrived, they were here before I arrived. And um, they were uh, very important in the life of Grace Point. He uh, turned for home on Friday and is now face-to-face -face with Jesus Christ. So uh, keep them in your prayers, Linda and the girls, and um, we, will, uh, we miss him, but we will see him again. Amen? Amen. So how many of you are twins? One? Okay. Um, I don't want to miss anybody, all right? So did you know, and I'll ask you, but maybe everybody can chime in, uh, identical twins aren't identical? Did you know that? I, I, maybe I'm the only guy that learned that news this week, but I was surprised and a little shocked, actually. Uh, it is true that they share a lot, identical twins do. Uh, I'm not going to go into the biology of why that is, but they have the same chromosomes and genes, basically, um, that cause them to look 
And, and actually, hear my voice, they sound very similar most of the time and appear the same for complex reasons, okay? Um, but the truth is, they aren't the same. Indeed, no two humans, I was surprised by this, no two humans have the exact same fingerprint. No two. Not even identical twins. Now, my point in describing so-called identical twins is to call attention to a guaranteed difference maker. Well, something that even identical twins would raise their hand and say, yeah, that describes me and my brother or me and my sister. Um, uh, it's, it, it's got a name, actually. It's the word I just prayed I- at the end of my prayer, choice. Choice guarantees that no two humans are quite the same or turn out quite the same. All right? So stay with me now for a second. Um, it is a, let's think of uh, money in your pocket, okay? Uh, if you have, uh, let's say, $100 cash. Okay, none of you uh, have 100 so let's go 10 okay? You got 10 bucks in your, in your pocket, right? That's currency. And if you took it out today and spent it, you would be spending it your way. If I did the same, I would spend it my way. The chances are uh, almost, well, really guaranteed. It's not going to be spent the exact same way. So we have this currency I'm calling choice. And choice is going to be spent differently by all, room full of people, and it guarantees that the results will be different as well. And things we choose, we know this from experience. I'm not, this is no news flash. Things we choose can change us, can't they? I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a fact. For better, they can change us, or for worse, it can go either way. You and I know that. Um, some example, for example, um, if you want to lose weight, something most of us have wanted at different times in our life. If you want to lose weight, you must choose to eat less. Almost every diet plan will tell you that's at least part of the picture. Uh, They might say you also must choose exercise or whatever it happens to be. So we get that. How about learning some kind of skill? Let's say you want to actually learn something that you don't know how to do at all or you're kind of a rookie at it. You're not great at it, but you want to get better than you are, right? So take it writing, counseling, uh, preaching, playing an instrument. Um, Think of other things. Being a mechanic. Fixing cars, painting. How many have had to do a paint job over? That's why I am like anti-paint jobs because 
I, some things you can choose to be better at, and it just doesn't happen. It's not in your DNA to do it better. But you get my idea. So in all of those examples I gave you and a ton more, you've got to choose to practice. I have not met a single person that plays like Vicky Kinez at this piano that just showed up. Right? Isn't that true? Right? She's stinking good. I mean, ridiculously good, right? Well, guess what? You may not know this, but I have an office around the corner, not far from this room we gather in, and I hear her at that piano during the week still. She's been playing here a hundred years or so. I mean, she's been a long time. It's incredible, and I'm, I'm saluting you, Vicki, because that's the kind of dedication that makes you everybody's favorite and the best ever. It's just crazy. So, by the way, this principle gets real serious real fast because it applies to something that's really important in our lives. If you want to get, uh, grow in your love for Jesus Christ, and it's not just something you'd expect me to say somehow in a list of illustrations. No, that's why we're here. So if you and I want to get closer to Jesus Christ, here's something for you. You've got to choose to spend time with him. Amen? That's it. So the sermon's done, everybody. Let's go home. Let's, um, so uh, the more you do, that is, the more you spend time with Jesus, the more the desire for him uh, will grow in your heart and um, now I have a strange question to follow all that up with. You get to raise your hand on this. How many of you have been forced at some time in your life to fall in love? I see one, and that shocks me. I'm just raising my hand to kind of tease you a little bit here. Okay? No, because most of you are looking at me going, really? Really? No, that's that. My, my your question, Pastor, is an oxymoron. You know what that means? Mutually contradictory. That they don't fit together. I mean, that just doesn't happen, right? I mean, picture this. Okay, 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 okay. I love you. You're looking at me like, Pastor. I didn't feel it. <laughs> right? Right? I mean, you just wrecked romance for me, Pastor. Okay, okay. I love you. No, it just doesn't work that way. Um, I've just described something that's really true in the Bible, okay? And that is this. Choice was built into the DNA of every single man and woman that has ever lived on this planet we call home. Choice was built into their DNA by God himself. It's true. Um... He wants, with humans, what can't be forced, a love relationship. Let's just take that in. Any other method messes it up, doesn't it? It goes off the rails. It doesn't satisfy, and it certainly wouldn't sustain us. So I want you to follow a sequence that you, you will not have hard time finding it 
is the first page of the Bible. Go to Genesis chapter 1 with you this morning. Genesis at the beginning of the Bible uh, calls attention to a sequence of thought that I think you're going to find very revealing. God designed the world in such a way that people have a special place in it. I understand some of you love your animals, your dogs, your cats, your whatevers, okay? Um, I see a growing number of people pushing strollers with pets in them coming up my street. That's just different than I used to have a stroller and it always had a child in it. But anyway, okay, I, I'm okay if you're okay. We'll just let that one go. But humans have a special place. <laughs> I can't get that image out of my mind. And it's every day they come up the street. It's just wrong. But anyway, um, so um, I get what I just said to you. Humans have a special place in his creation. I get that based on the opening narrative in chapter 1 of Genesis, which covers the six days of creation. It wasn't seven. Seventh day he rested, right? But you can kind of see them all there. Light, day one. Sky and water, day two. Land and sea, day three. Day four was a busy day, okay? Day four comes up with sun, moon, and stars. There's a lot up there, and that all happened on day four, right? So then... Day five comes along, and you've got fish and birds. For the record, not enough salmon. But anyway, five, day five, and then there was actually a lot of them, but we wrecked that. But anyway, um, that's day five. Day six, animals and human. My biology teacher was wrong. Humans are animals. No, they're not. We are humans for reasons that will follow. Okay. We're humans and we have a special place in his heart since we're the only thing that he created in those six days that was made in his image. Imago Dei is the word. So write that down. We are the only. We share that with no one or nothing. And yeah, it's the deal. So Imago Dei is kind of a complex thing, but I want you to, to hear it in his words. Verse 26 of chapter 1, And God said, Let us make mankind in our image. Wait a second. Let us? Yes, that's an early reference to Trinity, to the mutuality of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So people go, where does this Trinity come from? Well, all over the Bible, starting in the first chapter, Okay. So Genesis 1.26, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Look at verse 27, so God created mankind, he says it again, in his own image, Imago Dei, he says it again, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Let me bring three words into focus for a sec. There's a lot more than this. What is it about God's image that's true of me? Some of you are squinting like I don't see it really well. 
You know, I get that, okay. Is it omniscience? I'm all-knowing? Not true. I'm a smart guy, but I'm really stupid in some circles, okay? So I'm not, I don't know. That doesn't apply to me. Is it omnipotent? Well, let me just say I'm a strong man, but I'm not all-powerful, not even close. In fact, the older I get, the less I can lift, okay? That's not fair, but anyway. And then and here's another one. Am I omnipresent? Can I, be in any, can I be in more than one place at one time? No, we all know that. So it couldn't be referring to that. What is it? Let me give you my take on it. The things that make humans unique from all of the rest of creation, cognitive, affective, and volitional. We have the ability as humans to think critically, analytically, contemplatively. That's a distinction that certainly exists in God. Secondly, volitional. We have the ability to feel. We don't just, um, you know, ignore, uh, you know, uh, uh, something awful. It, and we don't just play it out in our head and go, wow, that's a bummer. Hard for them. No, you're weird if you do or worse. You, the truth is you feel something. The worship we just had was more than song. It was more than sounds. It was, it was moving. It, it made us, why do we raise our hands? Because there's this sense of, wow, Lord, you're real. And these words fit what we're doing right now. And it's, there's this cognitive, we think, affective, we feel, and then it leads to volitional. That means we are able to act and Will you write this down? Not act. We're able to decide and not decide. We're able to do and not do. All right, now we're, we're going places. That third feature of his image, volitional, is the act. I looked it up. The act of choice and of making choices and decisions. And it appears... In the very first words, God has not spoken to humanity yet, but he does so in the very next verse. You're about to see the first quotations in all the Bible, 128. God blessed them and said to them, quote, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and every living creature that moves on the ground. Those words in chapter 1, verse 20, 28, imply, imply the possibility that humans can, in fact, choose not to be fruitful. They can choose not to fill the earth. And worst of all, they can choose not to rule over in a loving way that God designed for them to do so. Now, I don't want to get too drawn in and have you glaze over. So I want you to just turn. You don't even have to flip the page in my Bible. Turn a, a chapter later, and I want you to see the first warning ever issued by God. Um, where he presents people, happened to be Adam at this time, 
that it was Adam and Eve and then their children and the rest of us by extension. It's the, the, he issues this warning to those people and us that have freedom to choose correctly or face certain consequences. You with me? It's in chapter 2. Look at verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. So he had a job to do. And the Lord God commanded the man, we know him as Adam, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden. Would you circle the word free if you're circling things in your Bible? It's a really important word. It's the first time it appears in the Bible. It's still God's desire. Check out Galatians 5.1. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. How did we go from free to, oh, that's right, sin. That comes up in a second. The Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. I imagine God looking like this when he said those words to Adam. With a smile, I made this on an earlier day of creation. And I made it, we're told here, at least in part, for your pleasure, Adam. And so it's not surprising he would say you're free to enjoy it, to eat from any tree in the garden. Don't stop reading. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And tragically, we know the outcome, don't we? If you're unfamiliar to that, if you're brand new to this, you're wondering, how did this thing go bad? I, again, I don't even have to change the page. It's the next chapter. Chapter 3, verse 6, tells us when the, um, when the woman, check this out, um, they chose right here. Uh, not what God commanded, but frankly what they wanted. Verse 6 reads, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, can you feel the cognitive, the affective? Now watch this. And also desirable for gaining wisdom? She made a decision. She took some and ate it, and she also gave some to her husband for very indicting words incriminating words who was with her in other words he stood there he was part of the decision at least in his case he had no excuse and he ate it they did what they wanted and um, and it didn't turn out well they ignored what God said about the freedom thing with restraint with a limitation they chose badly Right? Would you all agree with that? That's not just my, my, you know, critique of the garden. It's like you had a chance to choose well, but you didn't. And verse 6 tells us that you didn't. And the consequences have been with us ever since. Um, you may already know this, but in the very next chapter, um, they have kids this first couple there's a whole lot of language from God drawing them out drawing the facts out as I just described them and um, 
him telling about the, uh, about the consequences that they would now face. And then chapter 4 begins by revealing their family. And you wonder, okay, maybe that was just a bad day for Adam and Eve. I know you know the outcome, so it's hard to talk to a class that knows the answers. <laughs> but trust me with this. They, um, they have kids. And today we wonder, maybe the next generation will be better. More enlightened. <laughs> uh, not make the same mistakes. They had two kids, Cain and Abel. Cain was a farmer. Um, Abel, um, he liked sheep. He was a shepherd. And they bring offerings to God, we're told. And uh, for whatever reason, we're not told why. Verse 4 says God accepted one, one's offering. Um, it was Abel's. It actually says he accepted Abel and his offering. But he rejected Cain's offering. I could guess all day long why that was. I don't know. But Cain saw it all go down, and it, and it didn't land well with him. And it caused him to seethe quietly at first. And uh, he, can't, he can't deal with this. But whatever the case is, it makes him mad. And, and, and he says this. Look at the narrative, verse 6 of chapter 4. The Lord said to Cain, because he saw this, he saw Cain's countenance fall. Why are you so ticked off? That's what we would say today, right? Why are you so angry? Why is your face downcast? That's the sunken spirit. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, let me stop myself and ask you the question that's not, or the word that's not here, but it's woven through God's words to the offspring of Adam and Eve. Choice. If you do what is right because you are made in my image and capable of the volition of choosing right. If you choose what is right, it, won't you be accepted? Won't things go well for you? But if you do not choose what is right, do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is to have you. Wow, this is like a monster movie. It wants in. In where? In your heart. In your life. Is there evil in the world today? I ask you. Yeah. Where's the hardest place to find it? You see me pointing? Yeah, and it's not a, in a, pa don't say in a pastor, okay? Or that's not what I mean. I mean in my heart. And you should be see, thinking the same thing. It's like, no, this wasn't just mom and dad that were all messed up. This is the first two kids in the Bible. Why did they choose badly? God was saying, Cain, you have a choice. He says that still. Between two very different options that result in very different outcomes. Does this make sense? I gave you the choice. They're really different options. But you need to know they take you a different direction. It's the continental divide. You all know about that image. 
One takes you to the Atlantic Ocean. The other takes you to the Pacific. They, they take you to d- different locations. Choose to do what is right. Oh, <laughs> almost forgot. You probably know the outcome. But if you haven't read this story in a while, look at verse 8. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, hey, let's go out into the field. Let's get over this problem. Well, not so much. While they were in the field, Cain attacked him. He jumped him and killed him. Um, And that same struggle remains with people like you and me to this day. We're not talking about a strange few, an exception to the rule. Um, We face choices, different options that lead to different outcomes. Uh, One of my favorite people to talk about, especially in this subject, is the Apostle Paul. Um, He actually pulls the curtain back Uh, on his own struggle with what we're reading here. You'll read this later. It's in your notes to go to Romans chapter 7. But I I just want to picture it for you. He said this about, uh, watch me, the seesaw of choices. You ever felt that way? Remember seesaws as a kid, you know? And, And you could go this way or you can go this way. They go, you know, and he struggled with that in his own life. And this is what he said in Romans 7. I, I really don't understand myself. You ever felt that way? Why did it do it? Flip, you remember Flip Wilson used to say, the devil made me do it? Well, that might be partially true. Uh, he might have enticed you, but actually the decision to do it, the choice to go there, is you. It's me. But back to Paul, he says, you know, I, I don't really understand myself. I, I want to do what is right. I start every day wanting that. I don't think I premeditated hurting anybody on any given day. Some people do, but I don't. But it doesn't turn out that way. Paul says, but I don't do it. I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. I want to do what is good. But I don't. He's not finished. I want to do, I don't want to do what is wrong. But I do it anyway. Is he messed up or what? (laughs) It's okay to say yes because he's admitting it. He's going, this is a seesaw in my life. Listen to this. Oh, what a miserable person I am. He beat you to it. I just don't get it. I want to do good, I don't. I don't want to do bad, I do. That's messed up. (laughs) I know you're thinking, man, he's ramped up today. (laughs) I just, I like a guy like Paul because he takes the heat off me. (laughs) You know, it's, it's nice to find a guy I admire who goes, I'm a miserable person. He asks the question, who will free me from this life that's dominated by the terrible choice of sin and death? That's a good question. You hopefully, if you haven't asked that, you need to ask that and wait for an answer. 
And Paul came up with one a verse later. This is all Romans 7. And it spills into verse 1 of chapter 8. He says this, Thank God! Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ my Lord. Right? You're supposed to come to the edge of yourself and go, I'm about to give up on me. I can't get there. I start out wanting to, and I screw up half the way there. I've had so many people tell me, you know, there's a pattern inside me, Pastor, and it makes me nervous. I'm like, tell me your pattern. And about halfway into it, I'm turning to Romans 7. I'm going, well, I don't want to take your thunder away, but you're not the first one to talk that way. Right? Would you please read that today, especially if you're a, like, what do we used to call it, a two-time loser? You're a ten-time loser or more. And who isn't? It's meant to not make us chuckle. It's meant to make us broken and say, God, who will deliver me from this? Only God. He will fix this, but we have to, say it with me, choose to let him. You can go out and make yourself better, but it won't last. Sorry. If you disagree with me, let's talk later about that. It starts with a relationship with Jesus. It really does. Remember, he wants what can't be forced. A love relationship with people who want the same thing. There's a surprising similarity in what I'm describing today and human marriage. My apologies, because not everybody's married, but you are instinctively aware of something about married people. And this is the surprising similarity. Because I think, I'm bringing it up because I think it describes a desire God has for people. Um, 39 years ago, I asked my college sweetheart, Debbie Dean, not a cute name, I asked Debbie Dean to be my wife. My words were really simple. I got down on bended knee on the steps of the Capitol in Washington, D.C. You can't all see me, so I'll sneak forward. Debbie, will you? And I waited for a simple, sweet answer that I had hoped for and planned on. I will. My, my question was simple. Debbie, will you? Her answer was just as simple. I will. I'm not sure w- whether I would tell that story if she said not sure or something like that. No. That's all it was. Folks, please don't complicate this. That's all it is with Jesus. It starts right in the exact place God says of you and me, will you? Will you? He doesn't say it on bended knee. He says it from a cross. Will you love me? Because it's your choice, he waits to hear you say, I will. 
I will. Praise God. I want to, I need five more minutes. It's really important. Because it's more than words that God longs to hear. It's not just, oh, good. He said, I will. You know, check that one off. No, it's more than words. It's about choices that show that our words are true. I will, Lord. And then we, we have choices that say, you know what else? It's true. I really love you. Um, Jesus, on the last night, he was with his disciples in John 14. You need to turn there, if you would, just in this last moment. It's uh, breaking my own rules to have you move uh, so far from the start uh, this late in a sermon. But chapter 14, John. Um, he's with his disciples bef- the night he's arrested and ends up crucified the next morning and gives an ex- explanation and, and really clarification here. Um, and there's no better time to state this than at the beginning of this series that I've titled Choices, Do What is Right. Okay? This all ties to judges next week. But for now, this is important. Um, let's just join Jesus in this upper room for a second with his disciples. And uh, he's, he's promising here, and this is the last night, they're about to arrest him. And in this setting, Jesus promises the Holy Spirit's presence on the horizon, and Jesus makes a connection that, can I just say it out loud? I'm going to call it out. Is widely misunderstood or even completely ignored today. You say, really? Look at verse 15 and you'll see really. He says simply, if you love me, what? Keep my commandments. Somebody give me another word for keep my commandments. Obey. It's in half, about half of the translations go either way. Whoever has my commands and keeps them, he goes on to say, would you look down at verse 21? Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. So whoever keeps my commands, he says in verse 21, meaning you cannot keep his commands, but they show that you love him. So to say, I know you have commanded me to do this, Jesus, I I get that, but I'm, I'm not really into the Monday to Friday religion. It's, I, you, know, you know, I keep Jesus in the spiritual closet. But I don't want to get carried away here. And some people say, you know, I, that explains why I really don't, you don't see a lot of him. I made, I made peace with him, but you don't see a lot of him in the way I practice my life. And the Bible is saying here in verse 15 and verse 21, that points to a love problem. Okay. Some people have pushback right now to a suggestion that that sounds like that. What do you mean? You know, I love Jesus, but I, I... I feel a little judged to hear somebody say, you know, if I don't somehow show it in my life or lack the obedience, 
I've got some kind of love problem. Well, actually, that's exactly what I'm saying. But the truth is, I didn't say that. Jesus said that. It comes from Jesus, the same Jesus who said someplace else to people with foul language. They got potty mouth. They're people that struggle with, you know, dropping F-bombs and things like that. And they go, oh, that got away from me. And they, they think they got a tongue problem, a speech problem. And Jesus called them out in Matthew 12, 34, says, no, 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 the problem's not here. Just keep following back where that tongue takes you. It's a hard problem. Matthew 12, 34, out of the mouth flows that which fills the heart. So don't, don't miss the point here. Jesus connects loving him and choosing to obey him in these final two verses. Verse 23, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not choose to obey me, look at verse 24, anyone who does not love me will not choose to obey me. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. Clearly, choices that we, every one of us faces, big and small. Here's one, visible and invisible behind the curtain. Uh, They tell a story, don't they, of our hearts. In our relationship with Jesus, it's about the quality of love in our hearts for Jesus. My prayer is that we will embrace the connection Jesus is making between our claim to love him and our choice every day to live for him. And that we will choose daily to do what is right. I'd like you to bow your heads with me this morning. And Lord, some of us, we come to you now because we are people like the Apostle Paul. I saw all kinds of reaction at that moment this morning, and I felt it in my soul that that is such a picture of the seesaw in our hearts. Um, People who love you, Lord, and want to live for you, but we fall short. And that leaves us frustrated. Some of us don't choose the good we should choose, like Paul said. And it becomes a pattern. And the worst part is we just keep on doing it. It leaves us feeling miserable and stuck. Does that describe you this morning? If it does, I'd like to lead you in prayer. God set me free from my sinful habit of saying I love you, but it doesn't show. Saying I love you, but not obeying you. And by your Holy Spirit's help, cause me to choose to show that I love you by doing what is right. If that needs major change starting today, Lord, 
change it in me. And when I fall short, as Paul did, even in frustration crying out to you, who will set me free? Help me not to just walk on in disgust, but to stop and listen and resolve as he did. Thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, there is therefore now no condemnation among those who are in Christ Jesus. We lift up our praise now in response to you, not as perfect people, but as purposeful people that want to show we love you by the choices we make to live for you. In Jesus' name we pray.